0: If you love something, truly, deeply love and believe in it, how do you continue your own leadership and personal development so that you can be of the most service to it as it evolves? In this deeply personal episode of Butt Movers, Justin Bedard, the co-founder and executive director of Jump Foundation, a global organization inspiring, empowering, and engaging people and communities to realize their passions and potentials, Justin shares with us his stories and reflections and how he and Jump have grown. We talk about the need to light fires within ourselves and each other, embrace failure through radical candor, and move butts without losing sight of what we're trying to get done in the first place. Join us on this episode of Butt Movers. Okay, so I am here today with Justin Bedard, who is the co-founder of a pretty awesome organization called Jump Foundation. Um, Jump is a nonprofit social enterprise that uses experiential education to advance a world in which individuals, community leaders, and global citizens realize their passions and potential. Thanks for joining me today, Justin.
1: Thanks for having me here, Teresa.
0: And so can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and also about Jump Foundation?
1: Yeah, that's I think in terms of describing what JUMP does as as an organization is that we sit down with um, schools and other organizations uh, and we talk to them about how to build transformational learning for their students or the youth that they work with on a daily basis. And then we generate programs and experiences that inspire and empower and engage. And so as an organization we look to do that with whoever we can do it with um, and whoever will. Uh, see value and pay us money to to do that work, and then we cover the cost of running those programs, uh, be it with an international school or a corporation or uh, a youth group, and then we take the funds that we we generate and we run programs for so underserved youth in under-resourced communities. So that's the social enterprise model. If you were to look at like what is the the pure mandate of of Jump is build the capacity of young people to take action on the Sustainable Development Goals. We actually first started as. A volunteer group that uh, there's seven facilitators and we all volunteered to design the first programs and run the first programs for about two years and did it for free and kind of figured out and then someone was eventually said hey we you could probably charge people for these programs and being the altruists that we were were like ah, we don't want money we'll take that money and we'll fund programs for underserved youth with it um, because we all had our our other full-time jobs and so the initial model was we would run programs to international schools, they would pay us for it, and we would directly run another program for underserved youth with the money that they gave us.
0: And in terms of scope, I mean, you mentioned that when you started. And When did you start? In
1: The first jump program we ran was in 2006, and then we set up the organization in March of 2009.
0: And so 10 years on, the scope mm. of the organization has grown tremendously. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the scope Yeah, so of, yeah.
1: I think... The story of JUMP starts with these volunteers who... We just had this fun like workshop that we were running called the JUMP uh, program. It was a one-day leadership workshop that people would have us do. And then we moved to, okay, well, let's see if we can create an organization out of this. Um, and so there's a team of people that came together um, to start the organization. And so there's a... I always say there's kind of three founding teams of JUMP. There's the founding facilitators. That's what we all did that, and then there's a team that built the initial organization, set up the first bank accounts, registered the organization, and we ran for about four years out of Beijing, and then there was a team that, that helped to scale the business. And so there's this like a team of founders that focus on the scaling side of growing Jump. Um, so right now we have uh, two offices in Bangkok, two offices in Beijing, um, an office in Vancouver, office in Melbourne. We're opening a center in Dubai. We now have 26 full-time paid staff members, um, and about 150 contract facilitators.
0: And I imagine that in the last like 10 years as you've grown, um, as you've built these different programs and um, adapted what you do to the opportunities that have come up, I imagine along the way there have been, as I put them, butts mm. or obstacles or challenges that have come up along the way. Um, can you tell us about some of the the... Not biggest ones necessarily, but some of the ones that um, when you reflect back on your journey, have really been pain points that you've been able to to navigate.
1: An element that I feel has been a constant is my growth as a as a leader, and that's the biggest challenge is is how do I change who I am um, and adapt how I serve my community and how I serve the communities we work with and how I serve the organization. And I've failed multiple times, right, where I used the wrong leadership approach to work with a community or I used the, the wrong decision-making structure and to be able to then identify that, okay, well, the challenge that the organization is facing um, always comes down to the pinnacle of any organization, which is the person at the top. And that I have to own that and be like, that's because of my faults. Yeah, to use some stories, I think that when Jump first went through its first growth spurt we were you know at one point we were six people and within 12 months we had grown to 21 Um, and I was using the same leadership and management style for a six person founding team using that leadership style for the 20 plus person team with multiple different offices yeah I was kind of talking to everyone about everything and yeah and I created a culture uh, in our organization that was um Toxic. eventually the whole there was a, 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 a moment where there's a conference call that was called with everyone and basically one by one we went around and people kind of expressed what their frustrations were with uh, jump but in reality it was them fr- f- uh, most of the time most of the people were, were voicing the frustrations that they had with me as a leader um, mm-hmm. and where I had led the organization so to sit in that in that moment and be absorbing and, and listening and just recognizing, like, there's, there's no one else that's made this but you. And eventually everyone pretty much left the organization except for two people. Yeah, there's two, three people that are really passionate and then we kind of built back up from there.
0: What were some of the things that you did personally? Because a, a lot of this sounds like it, it was a very personal journey and a very personal sort of challenge um, to be able to then adapt your leadership or management style to the way that Jump was evolving. And, or, what did the organization do to be able to continue to grow and pick itself back up after what sounded like was a pretty mass exodus at the time?
1: From a very young age, my grandfather kind of ingrained into me two concepts. One, is good is never good enough. And then the, the second piece, and that is, you know, when you get hit hard by life, you got to stand up, and and the first thing is to identify like what's working, and what's mm-hmm. what's definitely uh, valuable, and and what do I love about what's happening, and what what is you know what am I passionate about, and focus a couple seconds, <laughs> minutes, a day uh, back on lighting that fire again. Um,
0: so coming back to what you were saying, you know, in terms of the conflicts that arise, it is out of sort of personal values or differences in the way that we approach things in the context of, you know, jumps development, again, as you've grown in the past 10 years, as you've changed who you are as an organization, each of the sort of three phases that you've talked about, um, can you maybe share an example or a story of when you've helped people within your organization to overcome some of these maybe interpersonal conflicts that have arisen out of this (laughs)
1: <laughs> endless, end, endless examples, I think, um, is my journey right now is actually like a conflict b- between who I was, who I am, and who I want to be. Our organization is going through a a transition point in which I, as the executive director and one of the co-founders of the organization, need to release the engagement that I have in certain components of, components of the organization as an executive and and as the organization grows my role right now is to figure out how to fight myself in allowing people to have ownership responsibility accountability for their parts of the organization and it's like a fundamental like mind shift of mm-hmm. who who I am and how I operate I've been an executive director who is able to step in and help everybody do everything across the entire organization. Um, And as we've scaled, there's stuff happening in Canada right now with our Canada operation that I have, like I can't control that. I have to trust the people that I'm working with and hire amazing people and let them thrive in that space and and support them to thrive. And that's a fundamental shift from like a a doer to shifting to a supporter.
0: And in terms of like the, the internal narrative that might drive that, is it a sort of like... But if I'm not involved, it won't get done right. Or but they need like what's the what's going on there? What what do you think uh, is creating that?
1: You know, I think it comes a lot down to ego. Again, for me, I've said this a couple times, and I think it's. But if I'm not involved, what is my value? Mm. But if I'm not involved, what is my value? Um, and part of that is you know, my and a lot of humans drive is we want to feel valued and we want to create impact and we want to yeah be um, supporting and sometimes the best way to support it and, and the best way to add value is not to be the person doing it um, and so I think shifting that to a uh, if I'm not involved it's actually probably better
0: and how are you making that shift because I think I mean I imagine that for a lot of people who are like deeply invested in whatever it is that they're trying to do and deeply passionate about what they're doing as their organizations grow as their reach grows that same exact sort of journey that you're going through of like trying to shift it from but i need to do this too okay so there are people and if i can get them in the place um, that they need to be they will be able to grow it and shift it i imagine that's a shared challenge so in terms of for you how you're making that shift what, what are some of the things that are going on there for you
1: uh i think any personal growth and development goes uh, you make the shift through failing horribly yeah. Um, and so but being open to recognizing that you are failing and keeping an open clear conversation of where you want to head so having conversations with your team members say you're on my team Teresa I would say hey Teresa like I, I want to move in this direction here's how I envision the organization running um, and I need your help to, to coach me on how to do that better I need you to say to me Justin this is something you don't need to worry about. Or Justin, I need you to trust me. Um, and, and have those open dialogues because that allows for me to have a better self-awareness. Um, if my colleagues are having those direct and honest conversations, this concept of radical candor that's kind of mm-hmm. being beat around the leadership circles right now is you know providing radical candor. And the core concept of that is with positive intent. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to speak honestly to someone, I have to speak to them with positive intent. Um,
0: and how do you, like, how do you have you found successful ways of creating that sort of culture right or creating an environment in which there can be radical candor or that people can say to you you know the executive director their boss's boss to say hey here's what's working here's not work here's what's not working how do you how do you create those conditions where people are actually able and willing to be open and honest
1: I mean I, I would say that I, I don't know if again back to this but I, I, I'm trying to I don't know if I'm doing it perfectly I don't but I think one of them, you know, the most important thing is that when someone brings something to you to say thank you for sharing that with me, like I appreciate this feedback and that's the most, and please continue to provide this feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes I and and other people um, will shift into a defensive mode and that's kind of, the, kind of one of the pieces. The culture shift is first is, oh, Teresa, I really appreciate that you were willing to come and share your thoughts with me in an open uh, way with such candor. Um, that helps me grow as an individual, and and I want you to continue to do that.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting, because it's something just as small as thanking someone rather than being defensive, and that's what can create this type of culture. And I, I think in everything that you've talked about so far, it's about having the humility to recognize when something isn't working and instead of saying like oh but we've already committed to doing it this way or oh but this is my leadership style so i'm still gonna do what i'm comfortable doing it's being able to recognize like hang on this isn't the way it should um continue and to be able to to change course
1: yeah and i think part of it is also the the difference between being a lone ranger in the forest mm-hmm. um where you're kind of running through the forest and you can choose whatever direction that you want to go in. And then once you build an established organization, you're no longer by yourself in this force of entrepreneurship. Uh, you now have a team and, and impacts to hundreds of people. The longer you drive down a channel of the wrong decision, you're, you've got people behind you that are going with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think that... that they say fail fast um, is important, which I agree with. And you want to recognize failure. And um, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm very good at is recognizing failure and identifying failure. I'm also good at just standing up and moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so hitting that uh, obstacle, you know, you come to a, but it's a a stop. You figure out a way around it and then just move on to the next obstacle. Like I, I thrive on the obstacle. And as a lone ranger, that's great. I can jump and throw myself at, at walls and, and try and get, but when you have like a group of people that are sitting behind you, mm-hmm. and, and you know, every day, decisions I make uh, impact if we're gonna be able to make payroll at the end of the month. like Will, will people get paid? And in, in 10 years, Jumps never missed a payroll. You know, just blind trust and belief is good. And it's got jumped to where it is today. Like, I believe so much in Jump that I put my credit card in an ATM machine, drew out cash, and that's how I paid salary for two months. Um, and this per- personal sacrifice there, and that's all great in this like super sexy entrepreneurship story. As I can, I can talk about bootstrapping it and getting it uh, to the level, which is fine. When I, that's just me, that's the only impact it has, is myself as you grow as an organization, as we've grown as an organization, we're no longer at that bootstrapping, entrepreneurial, I can do, you know, I'll I'll make it work kind of space. There's some decisions that have real, real impacts on people. And and so, yeah, I think that as you get to these obstacles, it can no longer be like, throw yourself over the obstacle and then just keep moving. Mm -hmm. You have to look at the obstacle, say, hey, should we even go over it? Um, And I think that's the to the theme of this podcast, the butt component um, is coming up to an obstacle and saying, "And we're going to walk away from this. We're not even going to try and deal with this be- because I've evaluated the situation and it's just too much impact in the in the way that we don't want to go as a strategic organization." Mm-hmm. I think that failure is such an interesting concept because. It's the most important thing for our growth, yet it's the thing most of us fear most, mm-hmm. and so it's this weird element of it. it's like the your broccoli, it's like your leadership broccoli. it's like, but I love broccoli, so that doesn't work, but it's your it's your it's your leadership piece that everyone's trying to avoid, but it's exactly what everyone should be heading directly towards, and myself included right it's like the the most important thing as a leader is to fail and, and to grow, um, in my opinion.
0: And I think what's interesting that I'm trying to tease out, and that I think you're like, being very reflective about, is what are some of those stories that we tell ourselves, or what are some of the ways that we finish that sentence of like, oh, but I don't want to do this because I fear change, or because I fear failure, and then how, how you reframe that in a productive way, to think about, okay, but I don't want to do this because, and sometimes sometimes there are legitimate reasons why something should not be pursued and the theme of this podcast isn't to forsake that it's to just try to distinguish when there are moments when there are challenges that come up where other people might say look at the same exactly and go but that's going to lead to failure so let's not pursue it how you're able to see something like that and go okay so instead of seeing it that way let's try to position it differently or think about it differently
1: I think there's also a piece there for the Articulation, the evaluation to not just be lip service, and for it to be uh, authentic. So you come up to a challenge, and oh, we can't do this, and this is why you know we're going to do something else and move forward with it. And this comes back to that the element of I think a lot of leadership, a lot of my leadership journey has been I had this raw drive and belief in our potential to create change and so I can get to an obstacle get over it and say okay and and we're gonna move forward and we're gonna move forward and people are like why are we still moving forward like, and I'm like and we're moving forward because uh um and we're moving forward because it helps us with the united uh, un sustainable development goals like that's why we're moving forward everyone good with that I was mm-hmm. like yeah okay great let's move forward um or like come to a a, a barrier and. And, you know, we're moving forward because we're going to be a global organization. Like, why? Why are we trying to grow so fast? Mm-hmm. What is the impact we're trying to make? And so I think as a leader, that's the, the challenge that I face is coming to those challenges and those obstacles, not being distracted by the buts, reflecting on what could happen being authentic about the and and ensuring that the and is linked into a clear strategic direction Mm. of where we're going.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because it's almost like you're too good of a butt mover sometimes and that itself is the, can be the challenge.
1: I'm also like addicted to it, right? I mean, it's the element of I love something that doesn't work and the people say like, I don't think there's a way to do this. It's like the best way to fire me up is for someone to say like, but uh, I don't think that's possible. I'm like, well, I watch believe, <laughs> I believe it's, watch me or like, we'll figure out a way to make this work. And it's like a dog with a bone. Just try like, uh, It's the problem solving. I love it. But, but it's, it, it, it honestly is an addiction in a, in a way like every person has an addiction, not in like a negative way. It's like a positive addiction, but it has negative impacts in the sense that. If well, you're it can have
0: negative impacts, right? But it's also had really positive impacts,
1: yeah, I think. if you, if you here we go. There's a but. Um And if you if you're in if you're in that state of constant constantly uh, firefighting, it and fighting challenges, it's hard to have sustainable impact.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a duality to that, right? Like you want to tra- blaze trails and you want to move forward, and you want to make sure you're not doing it in a way where you're blazing so many trails that you like lose focus of what you're what you're trying to do. So I wonder if, if you could tell us about a success because you have this addiction to problem-solving where somebody, something has come up for Jump or for you and you know most people or some people are like, but you can't do this because, or but Jump can't do this because whatever and you've been able to, as you've said, you know, overcome it with your passion, your inspiration, whatever it is, and it's had really positive impacts as a result. Because I'm sure you've got lots of those stories.
1: Jump Canada I was always on the back burner. I'm I'm a Canadian. I have a deep network in Vancouver. Um, I've always kind of wanted to do it. And it's always had a, well, but, like, it's just another region. But, you know, we can't do another thing. And but, but, and there's a lot of reasons that we did not expand into Jump Canada. Eventually, it always comes down to people. And so I, we had this one woman, Monica Davis, who is an absolute rock star and has worked at Jump for many, many years. As a contract staff member, should come and work, facilitate stuff. And I've been trying to get her to like to, to work at Jump. I'm like, just come to Bangkok. She's like, I came to Bangkok. Vancouver's where my home is. I'm like, I know you can have a positive impact in the organization. And, and then eventually, it was like, well, okay, Monica, if you, if you can't come to Thailand, we'll start Jump Canada so you can work for Jump, and that's what you do. Like, what does that sound like? And that's a classic, like double on double butt, right? Like, but we can't work in Canada, but Monica can't work for us two butts hit and there's an and Um, and you know Monica starts trying to make Canada work and you know you invest in people and and I think that's the only thing that you can really do and she she drives it forward for about 12 months and then we hire someone to run programs last summer and there's you know challenges with that we don't get enough enrollment because we started too late and everything at that point is okay well a lot of butts for why you should we should stop doing Jump Canada, and <laughs> it's all always comes down to the people. It's like I, be, I believe in Monica and I want to continue to invest in Monica and we hire some extra people there. She starts throwing things forward, and as we're starting to just crest and Jump Canada is starting to take off. Monica is in Paris on a site visit and she has thirty four year old uh, triathlete and she's doing push ups in her hotel room. She has a, a massive stroke uh, and bleeds out into her brain, and has to have brain surgery. And, and uh, thankfully, she survives, and she's in recovery right now. And she's going to be out for on medical leave for three to six months. And so we've lost like our key person. And the easiest thing to say would be like, "Well, Monica's out of the system, so you know, there's so many buts for why we shouldn't continue mm-hmm. forward with Jump Canada and we should." Um, and yeah, we we have decided to continue to move forward and, and the last three months have been hard but our team is in Canada's done great and we're coming around a corner and and it looks like yeah things will thrive uh, this summer and and we've got a massive grant from the Canadian government so it's it it everything's heading in the right direction now, um, and so that that's an example of kind of pushing through with hands.
0: I think anyone who's ever met you, Dustin, and who's ever done any work with Jump. Actually, somebody said this to me, and he said like everybody who works for Jump just has this overabundance of positive energy. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but that's just what they do. And it's I mean, you know, to be really honest, I think that's resonated in our conversation. In that, what allows you to move through obstacles in order to have success is, like, incredible positive energy, a deep belief in what you're doing, and as you've said yourself, like, a deep belief in the people that are doing it with you, and, like, investing in them and empowering them, and it comes right back to, like, the core mission of your organization, which is, like, personal development and lighting the fires within individuals, and then, like, having people move things forward. Um, And I
1: I can't emphasize enough the element of, right now, Jump Canada is... uh, I believe on the trajectory for success and I don't know if it will or yeah. not and, and I have to be okay to not be crippled by fear of well I mean everything is is dynamic nothing is static so am I successful right now in my role as an executive director product would say probably yes I have been a failure in the past and I will likely fail in the future And if I'm not failing in the future and I don't make up, I don't do some big massive mistake, it means I'm not growing or challenging. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's just coming back to that piece is like fear. Fear, Mm -hmm. I believe, is the biggest thing that that anchors people or weighs people down from moving forward and trying to take these risks. And we say like, oh, we want to develop risk takers and getting back to that core of like, what does it mean to be a risk taker? It's not that you just take the risk. It's not about being a risk taker. It's about understanding your own self. So there's a self-awareness side there and then understanding fear and understanding where your fear comes from Mm -hmm. that awareness of like, what do you fear about yourself? What do you fear about who you are and who you're going to become?
0: You know, in in thinking about the, the listeners out there of people who are trying to create changes and trying to move forward, um, would you say that's sort of your your biggest reflection or your biggest message is to be able to be self-reflective and acknowledge what it is that drives you and also what it is that enables you to meet challenges and be able to take risks if that's what is required?
1: So I think there's a couple things that you've said that really uh, are... are drawing on some good ideas in my head well I believe are good ideas Um, one is the conversation it shouldn't stop a a core belief is that what I've just articulated what we've talked about uh, is this current time right now Mm -hmm. of who I am and how I've become who I am and for the world to grow and develop I need to continue to have this conversation with you again at another point not when it's being recorded Mm -hmm. or with other people like that's that's growth. Is that the conversation never stops and mm-hmm. that the conversation continues? So yeah, I I think that these challenges, these obstacles, and the butts that we face, yeah, it, it really does. You know, the summary of my reflections at current are that it's not static, it's always dynamic, and that it's awareness of what, what's driving me to go towards this challenge, what drives me over the challenge, and then making sure that I look back to say like, was, did I fail? Did I move over that challenge in the right way so that I can either continue to move forward or, or choose to stay where I am.
0: And I think the, the what we've come to is I need to interview you again uh, on microphone in another 10 years and then we can reflect on, you know, the growth since then, but also having all those conversations in between. Thank you for taking your time and sharing with us about Jump and also being deeply reflective and, and personal and honest about yourself as as I put it, as a butt mover, and somebody who's a dick to move your So thank you, Justin, for your time and thoughts.
1: Pleasure. Thanks, Teresa.
0: Thank you for tuning into today's episode, and I hope you found Justin's honest and raw reflections as interesting as I did. Justin and I have actually known each other for just about a decade, but through the process of creating this episode, I learned so much more about him as a person and a leader than I ever had. So I encourage you to find that someone inspirational in your life and connect with them today to be there for each other in that oh-so-important reflective moment. And if you enjoyed this episode, please think of one friend who might also like it and send them the link. Connect with me on social media at buttmovers, that's B-U-T movers, or head over to buttmovers.com for more on today's episode, including links to jump and the titles we mentioned on receiving feedback and radical candor. I hope you'll join me next time when I have a conversation with Angela Hood, the founder and CEO of This Way Global, an exciting global company that is leveraging artificial intelligence to revolutionize the recruitment process by taking out the bias for both recruiters and candidates. Angela has some amazing insights to share, and I hope you'll join me then. Until next time, get out there and move those butts.